0: Crash Course in History with Rabbi Bleiweiss, 79. We, we're just exiled. The base of Mikdash has just been destroyed. And um, the Jews make a home in Babylon, which isn't so far away from home. Remember, it's grandfather Avram's home. It's his launching pad. It's The uh, the, the language is familiar. The culture is... Um, the, the Babylonians are crude. And gross, and it's one of the places in Gullus where we're not as at risk for assimilation because everybody wanted to stay away from the Babylonians. They were not such an impressive uh, collection of people. Nebuchadnezzar is a is a very colorful figure. Again, in a, in a crash course in history, I don't have the I don't have the luxury of time to go into every aspect of Nebuchadnezzar. But there is there is uh, there's a lot to say. Among other things, he was he was known. He's not the only figure in, in history like this for his power lust. Uh, he wanted it all, he wanted it now. He was described in Khazal as a dwarf. Interestingly and disproportionately, we, we find a lot of the villains of history were actually short in stature, and maybe you could build a whole psychobabble, psychological profile of a person who makes up an overcompensation for his perceived shortness of stature by being extremely cruel uh, and, 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 um, and uh, again again, power-hungry. Um, he, had a, he, he was a dwarf with a thick body, like a ball. That's what he looked like when you looked at him. He had a chirpy voice. He would look at himself in the mirror and he would say, I'm a king, I'm a king, right? He couldn't believe it himself. And in a sense, you can see him acting this out that he had almost established, overcompensate as it were, uh, to, to try to, um, to make up for his insecurities, his impulsiveness. He was insufferable. Uh, he was a terrible figure and he has bad dreams and many of the stories that we learn about in Sefer daniel henry you've been asking about it right so Sefer Daniil, daniel no no uh mia has mia. been asking for it. at that end of the table anyway so that's why i got you confused uh it was coming from down there okay um mia has been asking for it. so mia uh daniel um did in separate daniel we learn a lot among other things it's really parallel listen see if you can figure out what other parsha of history this this sounds like uh, that he has, Nebuchadnezzar, really bad dreams that nobody, but nobody, can figure out. And he calls all of his men, and they eventually bring out Daniel, the old Jew. That could be the Kuzari. It could be the Kuzari, but I'm thinking of something even more fundamental that you should also be saying right now. Yosef. Yosef. Paro has the bad dreams, and they, sh- they schlep Yosef out of the prison to interpret the bad dreams. Correct, correct, correct. Now, um, in the case of Nebuchadnezzar's dreams... He pulls out Daniel. Daniel is one of the great figures of history, even though later on he's cut down to size in the Megillah, he's referred to as Hatach, which the Gemara explains he was cut down in size. But for a long period during Galo's Bavel, he is our man in a tight spot. He's on he's he's there to to, to root for us. Um, Rav Rafsa says the source of Daniel's greatness. Let me know. He um, said Kriachma with Kavana. Oh. Well, we're uh, talking about I bad. never said that line. I never said that line this year. I have not said that line this year. Not I, not I, I just, I, it's a gorgeous line. Because what you're saying by that is essentially anybody can do this. It's something that anybody has access to. You can say, Kavana with, you can say Krishna with Kavana too. And that was the source of Daniel's greatness. He solves Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. Uh, and th- it's a colorful dream of a statue with four different components and um, Daniel significantly interprets it, this is represents the four components, are the Dalid Malchios, the four kingdoms. Because from this point on in history, the four kingdoms are going to um, dominate Klau Yisrael. Does anybody know, you should know, this is basic Judaism 101. Um, what What are the four Malchios, the Dalid Malchios, that from this point in, in, in uh, history, subjugate the Jews and, and, and oppress us? The first, of course, being yeah, the Babel. The second is actually two combined. They were father-in-law and son-in-law before them. That's the third. Who's the who's the second? Prasumadai, the Persians, the Medians, really the Medians, and the Persians. The third, you correctly said, the Greeks, not the not the Romans The, Romans are, the, the Romans are different. That's a Chinese theater. The uh, no, the Greeks. The uh, and the fourth, of course, the Romans. And this exile that we're part of right now is an extension of that exile. It hasn't changed. No since, and we'll get to this at the end of the second temple period, uh, the Romans have subjugated Klai Israel, this has been our enduring, sad existential reality as, as, as it is. And that's what's contained in the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar, as interpreted by Daniel. The king is traumatized, and he decides he's going, to, and one of the great scenes of all of history, he decides he's going to prevent these dreams from coming true, because part of the dream shows that each Malchus is successively toppled in favor of the second one and Nebuchadnezzar is concerned that his own monarchy, his own empire Babylon will fall, will crumble and so he's going to stop this and he knows the secret, what's the Achilles heel of, of the Jews? He knows that they have the creator of the universe on their side and if he can successfully separate them from from their God, from Hashem who's in heaven then he can subvert history and make his dreams not come true First, he has to make the Jews forget about Hashem. How does he go about doing that? By forcing them to worship a Zarah. And so he builds a massive golden selim. The valley is called Emekadura. And there's a certain night, it's going to coincide with Yom Kippur in Emekadura. We refer to this frequently in davening. He builds a statue to end all statues. In fact, it's a replica of the statue that he dreamt in his dream, with four components, every last detail. It's a magnificent uh, structure it's also trafe. Uh, he then gathers because Babylon now is the conquering power of the universe. He's got all of the all the other kingdoms subject to his will. He has them each send three representatives to come in this in the grandest display of religious quasi-religious it's not real religion, uh, pagan worship in all of history and they're all there and at three, I'm exaggerating to make the point, it wasn't quite like this, but when they count to three, all the people are meant to bow down. Representing Kalal Yisrael, front and center, are three of the great Siddiquim, namely... Uh, no, 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 no. no, maybe you don't know. Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah are their names. They huh? were there, if you remember yesterday, they were part of, I mentioned them yesterday, they were part of the original exile, called the Children's Exile, together with Daniel. They're all friends. They all subsisted, um, even though they had a special horashah, a heter, to eat the king's food in the palace, they didn't want to partake of it. Um, They ate bitter herbs instead that were technically kosher and they were foul. And among other things, the advantage of these bitter herbs is they gave them stinky breath. They made them repulsive. The king had a pension for his eunuchs. and this way, the eunuchs stayed away from the king. The Gemara tells us Uh, the king was a disgusting figure. These three tzaddikim are called upon by, 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 uh, by Nebuchadnezzar to represent Qal Israel, and when, when the time comes, they too are meant to bow down. And if they don't bow down, well, the king's got that worked out too. See, right there on the, in, the, in, the other, in, the, in the other corner, he builds a cauldron, a fiery furnace, that's hotter than any fiery furnace <laughs> in history. It rivals the one that Avram was thrown into, and the, the, the stories are, are, very, are meant to... Uh, uh, suggest one another. They certainly, there's certainly a parallel there. Um, he builds a fire, a furnace so so fiery that if you stand close to it, you burn up without even going inside. And when the time comes for everybody to bow down, there's this massive valley of, of hundreds of thousands of people at its time, and they all bow down in univer in unison, save for these three heroic figures who stand proudly straight. And Zechariah, one of the late prophets, has a dream that night of a single riding horseman, of Hadassim. And the, and the three Hadassim stay uh, standing straight, just like these tzaddikim. And true to his promise, he takes these tzaddikim. And there's so much more in the story. You really must learn this in greater depth, but I'm giving you the gist. Uh, it's in this most extravagant deplay, display of Avodah ever to make all of creation rebel against the Kaddish Baruch Hu specifically and, and especially the Jewish people. Um, how does he do it? He puts the seats that he stole from the base of Mikdash in the mouth of the tzellam, of the this, of this statue. And the statue speaks. And um, when, they, when the three tzaddikim stand upright, they throw them into the fiery furnace. <coughs> when the guards are, throw them into the fiery furnace, the guards burn to death. Somehow, mysteriously, the three tzaddik don't, and everybody's watching the display from a distance, and they can't figure out what's going on. And then they're looking, and the king's also looking, and he can't figure out what's happening inside the fiery because he sees, unmistakably, one, two, wait a minute. There are four. four, not three, four figures in there. Who are they, Ashi? One with, like, Gabriel, right? Excellent. Gabriel the Malach. Gabriel's our literally the jewish people's guardian angel he created a cool center space in there and they're just sitting in there and my image of it is that the three of the the four of them are sitting there sipping tea and sipping tea, sipping tea and drink and trading divrei taira actually one of them is serving the other three gabriel the angel of hashem is actually subservient to the three tzaddikim proving chazal's point that a human being who overcomes his yetzahara ezogibor hakovish is yitzro person who overcomes the Tzahara is actually on a higher level than the angels themselves. And, and they're trading Debrei Torah and Gavriel is, is a shamish to the three tzaddikim. And Nebuchadnezzar looks closer and he says, Well, I know that face, the fourth one. He's familiar to me. Oh, it was that night and I gave you this. I've been planting, when I do the, when I give a proper history, when I do my 130 lecture version of this, I really do this and I plant hints, where's Waldo along the way, and people have to figure out the connecting links of history, but I gave you this one too. Does anybody know where Nubal Khad has seen that face before? Um, Nobody's been paying attention? Oh yeah, he, he that fateful night many, many, oh, many you know, years ago. It was when they attacked uh, Yershalay. Yes, man, like, under Sancheiru. And Gabriel Gavri- Gavri- was the one who went down and decimated the whole camp of Ashur, except for five, and some say fourteen, including Nebuchadnezzar, a very young Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuzaradan. Right? And he said, That's the man, Oyve, I'm in trouble. And many things happened that fateful night, including further down the valley. See, there are these bones that are dried up, and they've been there since the Bnei Ephraim. Washed out of the CS Mitzrayim centuries earlier, namely 850 years earlier. And, um, and suddenly Yechezkel performs the Nace, Hashem performs the Nace through Yechezkel, and he revives the dry bones. That's where the term "dry bones" comes from, and it's the first live wi- uh, where Jews actually witness a tchias amesim. It's not the first tchias we've had those in the past two, namely did a amesim resurrected Yashka. It resurrected Yashka Chas uh, I'm talking about earlier and not, 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 not I'm talking about real stuff, not 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 when, made uh, up stuff. When, when the soldiers. No, Eliyahu Navi and then his disciple mm-hmm. Elisha Navi Harsinai is a little bit like that because the souls went out of the bodies, very good, another good connection. Well, this was a grander display and they saw it all. They saw the dry bones and they saw the, sinew atta- the sinews attached and then the flesh and the skin and the people came back and eventually they integrated with Klal Yisrael. In fact, as the dry bones were coalescing and coming back to life, Nebuchadnezzar was drinking water from a, or wine probably, from a special goblet that was constructed out of the skull of a Jew. And the skull before his eyes comes to life and smacks him right in the forehead. And knocks him out. Not permanently. No hands, Yeah, No No hands. And the Jews did not lose their connection with the Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's ironic, and it's pointed out repeatedly in uh, in, in Daniel and elsewhere in the Tanakh. That the Jews in the, dark, in the, in the darkness of exile, Mimamakim, Krasicha Hashem, and we call out to Hashem, that's where they made tshuva. It was little too little, little too late. And the Gemara and Parakhelik again, of course, Perichalic describes whatever happened to Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah because pointedly and mysteriously, these three great Sadikim disappear from the face of the earth. We never hear about them again. And if indeed they're eunuchs, they never had any descendants. So one of these suggestions, whatever happened to them, the Gemara says. Tavu Baruch. The, they they the, all the nations are present that night. They saw all the misim, the miracles of the Kaddish Baruchu, and they say, "You have a Kaddish Baruchu. You're His chosen people, and you weren't loyal to Him. You worship silly pagan worship. With all human beings, recognize the vanity, the emptiness, the bankruptcy of paganism, of, of idolatry, of idolatry." And they said, you didn't appreciate Hashem when you had him and he destroyed your temple? Shame on you. fools!" they said. And they went over to the representatives of the Jews and they spat on them. And then three Jews, Tavu barok they drowned in spittle. That's what Chazal suggests. Not that it was their fault, they were big tzaddikim, but as representatives of Klal Yisrael, as it were, the non-Jews blamed them. But did they they That's son, one explanation. There are more. Don't me take that at face me. value. What them, but the water could. It doesn't say they died. I guess so. That's a loser. Okay. The um meanwhile, somebody is languishing, two people are languishing in prison also in Babel. They're significant players and I threw this one out to you as a mystery. One of them is blind. His name Ravya Regia? who's that <laughs> uh, he has <laughs> yeah, a problem with too much information. <laughs> no, 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 no. see his eyeballs were popped out yesterday. His uh, eyeballs were popped out. What was the last thing he saw? Oh, the never oh, death, death of all yeah. ten of his sons <laughs> as they as they cruelly murdered them and then popped his eyeballs out. But there's another person in prison. We've mentioned him too. I'll remind you. He was the one. He was a very wicked guy until the very end. That was Tzidkiyahu, who's the last king. Yeah, popped his eyes out, or he popped out No, 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 they popped his eyes out and threw it in the oven. The, um, but he had a predecessor who was very wicked, ruled for three months. At the end it makes chuva. you remember the scene, he walks up to the top of the roof of the base of Mikdash, and what does he do? He walks to the top of the base of Mikdash, and he throws the throws keys off, up, and the up, and a the heavenly hand swoops down like and catches a, yeah. them. Okay, watch those heavenly hands. We're about to meet another one today. The, uh, the, uh, and his name was Yehonia, or Yo Ye- Yeho- Yochin, And he goes to prison and he makes tshuva there. And they realize, wait a minute. They're the, they're the next link in the chain of base David. And they don't have any kids. If they don't have any kids, we're not having a Mashiach. And the Jews pay the necessary bribe mo- bribery money. They get word to the king. And the king agrees, anything for a price, I may arrange for a woman to be lowered down into the prison with Yechonia so that she can reproduce. And When she comes to the prison, he looks at her and he says, I'm sorry, when were last in the mikveh." And she says, "Mikveh?" And he says, no dice. And she says, but I'm your hope for the future. He said the only hope for the future is in Torah and mitzvahs. If it's not going to be done through Torah and mitzvot, if you're not clean, if you're not pure, Taras Mishpacha is not there. What are the three pillars of Jewish observance together with the other two? Uh, No, no, no. The three pillars of Jewish observance. Any Shabbos and Kashrus and Taras Mishpacha. If you're not going to observe Taras Mishpacha, you can't go have it with a woman who's who's in Nida, and therefore he rejected her. And the Goyim make fun of him. He said, now you make tshuva. Now you're in prison. Now it's time for tshuva. It's okay. Later on, she goes back. She purifies herself. She goes to the mikveh. And from, from this line, Mashiach is born. His son is among his sons. Is Shalsiel from Shalsiel? Eventually, is born Zrubavel, Zerub, Kates Bavel, Zrubavel, Zrubavel comes back Shivat Sion, and the descendants will be from the house of David, and will ultimately be Mashiach. The line, the line was Lo Kiamta, Mitzvah Ziva Vachshav You Yushalayim. You didn't know how to keep the mitzvahs here. You do. Um, Bavl Falls, it's spectacular. They attack Bavl in the 70th year. The Yavish, the Madai, and Korish, the Parsi, they attack it in the 70th year of is as the Empire. Bavl lasts how many generations as an Empire? Yeah. Three, according to corresponding to the three steps Nebuchadnezzar had taken. The night that they lose, Bal is full of self-confidence. He had a preliminary victory in them against battle. That night he has a special suda. He dresses up. What does he wear? Big Day Kahuna. He dresses with all the stolen objects from the base of Mikdash to mock the Jews and they have a special premature banquet and that night he goes to sleep full of happiness and and, and inflated self-confidence. And, when he, and, and, and on the other end of the wall as he's sleeping in his chambers in the king's chambers, suddenly it's that old dissevered hand that I was promising you. a dissevered hand comes down and writes a coded message on the wall. okay? And the king, Balshetsar, cannot read the writing. The writing is mana manatakalufarsin. And it's, it's unintelligible to him among other reasons. He can't even understand the script. The script was an old form of script. It's not the common form that was called Ksav Ivri. It's Ksav Ashuri, which is the language that we now have of, of Ivri. Of it was the block letters that we have in our Sifrei Torah, but it was out of, a, a, outmoded. Go look at the Gemara Megillah for more on that, why Ksav Ksav Ashuri was no longer used, but that was the Ksav, that was the script that the Torah was given in, and was out of use. And nobody can understand, and the king calls in all of his messengers, and nobody can interpret this, this severed hand, wrote this whole code that nobody can make rhyme or reason of. Until, of course, they bring in Lord Daniel. Daniel comes, and he reads the writing, and he says it spells out your doom. Mana, mana, the, the, your, your throne will be torn out from you, and the, uh, the Persians are going to bring you to your knees. And the king is hysterical he's um, the king is hysterical he uh soils himself he says and he 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 commands everybody he says they're not going to get me and daniel says they're going to get you they're going to get you tonight and the king knows that daniel knows things that the average mortal doesn't know as a question what kind of prophet if if he was not a prophet he was a prophet daniel but the king is terrified and he tells them nobody but nobody comes into my chambers nobody even goes into my outer corridor and i'll tell you something if you catch any living soul in the outer corridor outside my rooms you execute him on the spot He said, anybody he said yes even an imposter who claims to be me you just execute him on the spot well in the middle of the night prasumadai, the new nation's attack. There's terrible noise. The king is so terrified without, without remembering. He runs out in the corridor, and this he's captured by his guards, and he says, no, you fools, let me go, it's me! And they execute it, according to the king's command. Nice. Wait, so... With so British, get him. Get him, What's that? So, no, no, his own guards get him. So, yeah. uh, that night, there's one survivor of the monarchy. He, he has a daughter, see and she flees. She's protected. She was get she had some compassion the Persians take her in. Her name? Esther? No, no. you're no. on the right track. Oh, Vashti. Vashti. Vashti's the surviving line, the Bauschitzer's daughter in the in the family. She gets out. Everybody else perishes. After, was so bad, that, like, went, much earlier you're thinking yeah. of Eglon the king of Moab who's in Shoftim that Ehud kills the sword gets lost in his blubber much earlier in history okay the voice I don't even know what you're talking about but don't tell me yes Dovin what happened to Bashti after uh, in the she, after her uh, green, horn, after she turns green and has horns and has a tail, she's, yeah. she's executed by Achazveros, her husband, yeah. for insubordination. <laughs> the uh, is the new king. He's, he's the king of Madai of Media. He rises up and he wisely takes in Daniel and makes him second of command. Um, Mishnah LeMelach, like again, Daniel's life is a parallel to his ancestor, Yosef. Actually, no. He's from. He, there's another opinion. He's from Yehuda, but he's very much. His life is very much like Yosef. and he becomes second in command, one of the top ministers. Even though there are 120, Ashdar Panim was the official. Uh, their version of the Knesset members, um, but the other men are very jealous of Daniel, and they conspire to get him. They know that he's Jewish and he's from, and they force the king without the king realizing. The king loves Daniel, but uh, but the, but the ministers try to sabotage Daniel, and they make a decree, the king signs it, that anybody caught worshipping anybody or serving anybody other than the king, that's a capital crime, and they're going to get him. And they catch, they, they, they set up Daniel. they catch him, red-handed, what's his crime? Davening. And they bring him and he's in <laughs> trial And the king is beside himself Trying to defend Daniel Trying to speak to his praise And in the middle of the, the trial Suddenly sun's son's about to set And Daniel stands up and Davin's mincha Meaning he incriminates himself Just there in the middle of the trial There's no defense for him The punishment of course yeah. Death but an but unusual lion. and cruel death To be God thrown God. into the lion's den Oh, oh. The ministers arrange for 1,460 lions. The numbers are always important. They've been starving these lions for weeks. They they have a den all set up. That night, of course, which night is it? That night, Layla Seder. That night, Layla Seder. Um, They throw Daniel to the lion's den. There are all kinds of explanations. They recognize him as one of their own, after all, I just said Daniel comes from the tribe of Yehuda, whose animal association is a lion, and that's how the lions see him, okay? That's how, that's how the lions see him, and he's spared. Uh, suddenly, why? There's the med- another madrush says, there's a knock on the door. Who's there? It's me, Chavakuk, one of the other Navim who went with us to exile in Bavel. Chavakuk, you remember, had long life because he was, he was revived all those years ago by Elisha Navi in the house of the Shunamis. He's the Shunamis' son. Yeah. So Chavakuk comes to the door and he says, Happy Pesach! Bearing matzahs and four cups and all the accoutrements of Pesach Seder and in the lion's den all night all night long. They're marvell the misray. one of my great one of the great images of all of history. and Daniel. Right there surrounded by the lions. who don't Their even lions. recognize them. The lions themselves don't even recognize them as potential um, afikomen for dessert That's right. Is Actually one of the yeah, lions asked it. the four questions. <laughs> no, I made that up. Um, that would, be my that would uh, absolutely. Uh, but when the lions ask the four questions, that really well, does complete does complete the image. Definitely does complete the image. The next morning, the king is beside himself with worry. He loved Daniel. He called into the lion's den. Daniel, please say it isn't so. You have to survive this. Are you there? And there's silence. Because Daniel is saying Kriyashma with oh so much Kavana, the Aww. secret of his greatness. And after time passes, Daniel calls back. And if the king, thrilled, brings him out of the lion's den, he survived, he survived. And the ministers, tried to sabotage Daniel, cry foul. They said, no, it's no fair yet to do it again. The, the lions weren't really hungry. And the king said, oh, really? Well, if they're not hungry, I guess they wouldn't mind if uh, a little test. So he takes the ministers with all their wives and children, and he throws them into the lion's den. The lion's and the, med- the, the, the medrus tells us not one of them reached the floor of the lion's den before they're completely devoured. Yeah, Mida Kinegid Mida. Mida. Uh, Madai is a very short-lived monarchy. It's over, it's, it's replaced by Pras. Pras, of course, is Persian. Uh, Persia lasts a little bit longer. The new king is named Koresh, often referred to as, in the English, he's called Cyrus. Oh. Um, Cyrus is famous because of his declaration. He declares that the Jews now, he's now, he sees the Jews as positive figures. They, they were the enemies of the Babylonians and the enemy of the enemy is usually my friend in history. And he elevates the Jews and he decrees, you may go back, make no mistake of it, I don't, I'm not gonna make you a sovereign power. But he says, the pers- and the Persians say, you can go back and rebuild your home. Go back and rebuild the base in Mikdash. And the decree of Cyrus now permits the Jews to go back Yaft, Lelukim, Li Yefet, the Pasuk says, Vishkon, We They dwell in the tents of Shem under Yefet. Yefet is the Persian uh, ancestor. And they return, the initial group of Jews return what we call Shivat Zion, the preliminary rebuilding of the second temple. They're led, I mentioned his name before, by a descendant of the house of David from Yo, Yo- His name is Zrubabel. <laughs> Zrubabel, uh, he's the new governor over Yehuda. The group is elderly. There are some forty-two thousand three hundred and sixty Jews who return to rebuild the base of Mikdash. They get started. Interestingly, it's some fifty-two years after the Khorban. They have to start somewhere, so they build first. anybody you know, the first structure in Harabais Gemara talks about it. Mizbeach. They build the altar, and you know, and many derive from this. It's okay. The uh, the uh, they build the altar and they start offering some korbanos. Because even without a base of mikdash, you're allowed to offer certain korbanos. Based on this, in the 19th century, where Tzvi Hirsch Kalischer derives this as one of the sources, he has he came to the opinion that Jews today should start offering korbanos even without the base of mikdash. Um, it's a view that's rejected, but um, halachic reasons, I give a shir on that. It's a separate discussion. You have to go through issue by issue by issue to understand why, but all the Gedolim, all the big post-schema of the 19th century rejected it, even though everybody's in favor of the idea and theory, uh, the practical reality would not sustain it. Um, on Rosh Hashanah, in the, approximately the years, 300, 370 years before the Common Era, uh, they reinstate the Korban Tomid. What's the Korban Tomid? We, say we do it twice a day. The constant offering, morning and afternoon, and they re- they recommission the the korbanos in the base of Mikdash. The avodas Kodesh is renewed. But it all comes to a crashing halt. See, the enemy of the Jews persuades the king to halt the project. See, the Jews are going to use it as the first step. But you're not going to hear the end of it, King. They're going to use it as a as a as a launching pad for insurrection. They're going to rebel against you. Who are the enemies of the Jews? Oh the Sh- yeah, 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 yeah. The say, Samaritans. The Samaritans. The Kutim. The perennial thorn in our side. They're the ones. They're the ones who are responsible. And Koresh, Cyrus retracts his decree. And the Jews cry. Daniel mourns, sitting out on the banks of the river Chidekel, He receives a vision. Daniel receives a vision about the end of days from Gabriel the angel. He is. Um, he's sitting with Haggai, Malachi, and Zechariah, the other prophets. They're real prophets. He's. He's not at their level, um, but they don't perceive the same vision. He gets something that they don't have. He is one of, he's the third of three figures in history to see the end of days. Together with, we said Yechyskel. this. Nope. Never, he saw, Yechyskel sees his vision of the future is the most elaborate, but he doesn't see the Second Temple destroyed, and Bar Kokhba put down, and the Spanish Inquisition and expulsion, and the Shmonitsky massacres. He doesn't see all the horrors of history. Only three people saw all of that, all the details of history: <laughs> Yaakov Avinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, Daniel. And Daniel, after the after the experience, is traumatized. He collapses. He he's overwhelmed. He can't sleep for three weeks. He sees the end of days. And then Hashem for a very specific reason and you don't get this and this is so important that you're here you're here for this to see the arc of history and see it unfolding naturally and organically hashem elevates two figures specifically at this time in history and prophecy is about to be turned off and the chachami are about to emerge as the dominant force in history as they are till today and two figures emerge in the king's palace in the persian palace part of Hashem's grand scheme to install Talmud Echachamim as the future leaders over the Jews instead of the prophets. Who are the two figures? They're related in this case. Mordechai and Esther. Mordechai and Esther. And whereas Purim, as a story, sometimes to the untrained eye appears to be disconnected from anything that happened before and disconnected from anything that happens afterwards, it's a self-contained story. But it's really not. Even in the psukim themselves, Mordechai is identified as coming from the gullus of Ye- Yochin, which It's the second of the gullus. It's a little distracting to me. Um, it's the second of the of the uh, of the exiles. And um, and that's Hashem's Hashgach Pratis. You know that Hashem's name does not explicitly appear in the Megillah once, but it's everywhere to be everywhere and nowhere nowhere explicit. That's the nature of the Megillah. That's the nature of life in Galas. Hashem is everywhere, but nobody except for the trained eye, no place except for the trained eye that perceive. And you can see everything happening in the Megillah, so obviously all Hashkah Pratis, all Divine Providence, but the Goyim don't recognize this. The most sinister figure in the Megillah, of course, Achashverosh. Ah, Achashverosh. Ah, even though another reason why you can't just learn the text—if you just learn the text, you're convinced that Mordechai is the enemy—and he is, don't get me wrong, he's Amalek—but the Chazal point to Achashverosh as the real. Wow, Rabbi, you just filled mitzvah. Oh, I did, I did. Now I don't have to drink anymore. Haman, excuse me, uh-huh. correct myself there. I'm a, I'm a, I'm i am i a bunch I of names. I did. Wow, it's not even from—not true. I did to drink? The, uh, I, drink, I drink on for him. Um, is the one who finally halts the total project, of the building base of Mikdash. When Esther's installed, I'm skipping much of the story and the assumption that you know it. Esther's installed, and you remember the famous central scene where Mordechai tells her to go into the king and she declines. You remember this? Remember the exchange that they have? You must learn the Gemara in Megillah and how how it's rendered historically. When Mordechai rebukes her, Who knows at a time like this why you came to the the king's palace? Um, She is secretly happy with his rebuke. See, Esther wants him to publicly rebuke her, and she wants to give the impression to all the Jews out there that she's not going to go and pitch in for them. You know why? Yeah, exactly why. the Mara said. Excellent, Alex. She's concerned. Why would they not David? Jews know to David because they they would think, you know what, we have a little sister in the palace of the king. She'll take care of us. We don't have to do anything. She wants them to believe that she's not gonna go to bat for them. She's not gonna help them out. So they'll, pull, they'll pour all their kishkas into davening because everything is ultimately up to Hashem. Don't rely on any power in high places who's gonna, who are gonna intervene on your behalf, and that was Esther's plan all along. She calls on the Jews to fast three days. By the way, the whole Megillah, why does it leave that? Why did they leave that Hashem's name? It was written by Esther with Anchiknes Gedola. Why do they leave that Hashem's name? It was written as a government message. Reader of Victor Miller on this, it's fascinating. It was written as a government message and it was all coded. So the Jews would read it unmistakably, would get all the hints and references, but the Goyim, the non-Jews, would miss everything. Because non-Jews were reading the Megillah too. And they shouldn't realize all these references. When the Jews daven, the tefillah is unprecedented, you know that the Jews, when they celebrated earlier at HaShverosh's banquet, HaShem wanted to destroy the universe. And now they're outpouring in sincere tefillah, recognizing a hajbar who's really the sovereign of the universe. It's undoing the evils of the past, and it's even a kapara for the horban base of mikdash. And this leads to a wave of tshuva. A lot of converts come in, but they're not legitimate converts. It, relieves, it, it, it leads a to a conversing. tshuva that actually fulfills the purpose of the gullus, Because gullus is not a shem saying, "Wow." And, and rebuking us. Gullus is an opportunity, like our Gullus today, that's why all of history is supposed to learn from and understand, take messages that are relevant. Gullus is an opportunity for us to come back to Kirsh Baruch. Hu. If we take it or not, that's our choice. If we, if we don't take the bait, we don't we don't recognize the cues in the, as it were, you know that scene by Baal Shamsar, that's where the expression comes from read the writing on the wall, right? If we don't read the writing on the wall of exile, we, we miss the whole point. So the Jews, Baruch Hashem, in, in a model example, they read the writing on the wall, and they reaccept. they are, what Haman calls us, Haman accuses us of being, an am mifuzar We're dis, we're disunified, we're scattered, we're spread out, that's our Achilles heel when we're, when we're disunified, but by the end of the Megillah, the Jews, in unison, unite, they fast, they daven, they send shlachmanos, all the themes of Purim are unity. We send shlachmanos, why? To enhance this, the uh, love for one another. You should feel good. I send you I send you two nice dishes. You say, what a great guy Blyweis is. We give gifts to the poor. We elevate everybody. Everybody's uh, on track. Ishachad, the Um We reaffirm the covenant that was given in Harsinai. No other time in history is likened to Harsinai as a reaffirmation. But think about this. We do it, Yosef. We do it in the darkness... Uh, we do it in the darkness of exile where it's least likely that we'll find the Shem, and they do. They reestablish and reaffirm what they previously had accepted, and now they can rebuild the base of Mikdash. Because in the next generation, Esther, according to one source, gives birth to Dar-Yavesh, the next king, the second Daryavesh, who now allows the, ju- the building to continue. And by the 70th year of exile, they're rebuilding the second temple, all because the Jews during Purim said yes. Now get this message of history. It's an important point. You will not get this in secular university as follows. When the Christians twisted history and changed the calendar, they added 167 years, they did all kinds of things. They did it with their own biases, trying to legitimate Yoshua as what they claim was the Messiah. And it was it was a complete distortion. One of the major points that, that people miss when they, they spell out history chronologically, they added a whole huge chunk of time in the Persian period, and therefore, they date the Purim episode as coming long after the building of the Second Temple. It's in the middle of the early Second Temple period. middle of the or Middle early Second Temple period, right? In which case, it's totally meaningless. It doesn't serve any function in history. But Jewish traditional... Uh, the tradition of, of that Chazal bring down is so significant. No, it was before the second temple was finished. Significantly, there would be no second temple had the Jews not reaffirmed their covenant with Hashem back in Shushan Habira. So when you twist history, it has huge ramifications, and that's why the Jewish version of history, part of the reason I'm giving this is I'm doing my little part to set the record straight, because the secular histories out there are full of, um, I mean, this is a heretical idea. If you rewrite history away from Chazal, and, and I, again, you should be sensitive to this, That I think there are well-intentioned Jews out there who don't get some of these points. Because they'll say, they'll use sometimes the secular history, historical timeline, and it's not just a pedantic debate. You know what I mean by that? You know scholars can get all strung out over irrelevant details? They didn't use those shoelaces, they used these guys as shoelaces. You'll hear in a serious academic debate, and everybody just yawns. But the stuff I'm trying to suggest to you, this is not just pedantic, irrelevant details of history. All of history hinges on what? Nunu, no, no, our constant theme, Chet and Shuvah. It's all about our sins and our, our return to Heshev, and, and, and therefore our timeline is like that too. In the, second year, in, the sec, in the sixth year of Daryavesh's rule, Daryavesh replaces Achashveros. the Vesem Mikdash, the second version, is completed. The date is the third of Adar. It's about 348 years before the Common Era. You can read about it in the book of Ezra, in the sixth chapter. They make a Chanukah Hanukkah sab- Chanukah sabayis mikdash. they bring korbonos, there's great simcha. The old timers who were there cry. Because they remember the first time. Yeah, and the glory of Shlomo's building, there's nothing to be... No comparison. Ah, <laughs> second temple's nothing, it's garnished. Ah, it's, 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 it's a travesty. The, young, the youth are celebrating, because youth are always looking to the future. Yeah, yeah, I know it's not what it was, but it'll be amazing, you'll see. Yeah. So, in, in our history, we can like have people who were, people who were alive, and then conceive the second in order for them to cry. because they could have seen both. Yes. And according to our timeline, therefore, there is no. No, there's two. Actually, there's two because they, remember Purim happens many years after the second. Everybody said it was 70 year gap. Okay. Even better. So how is it then? That part, that part, that part we wouldn't debate. What? How is it then that some intellectuals can claim that Ezra, Ezra, uh, that Ezra <laughs> wrote the Torah and gave it to the Jews? Oh, how did the second story claim that Ezra wrote the Torah and gave it to the Jews? Mm-hmm. How can that even be a possibility? I said the timeline. They just say it. How can that even be? How can that even be? A with Jewish? me. I'm going to talk about Ezra and the Gedola, and I'll I'll give you why they think that. And they're not totally off. It's it's simply distortion. But you're ahead of me. So soon we're going to get... Not today, but tomorrow, Bezrash Hashem, we'll get there. I hope also to do... I was thinking, I mean, we're not going to finish all of history in this particular run, but it would be really nice if we got to Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. Logically enough. At least you should have the momentum of all of history behind our our seals. Uh oh, Definitely not shot to be this time around. Oh no. Eventually, eventually. Listen, so I have to dangle something over you yeah. as incentive. Okay. One thing Let me. Let me. Let me at least get the. me get to Hanukkah this, this time around. Hey. I, I, we have. ground to cover. This piece of Mikdash of the four um, sanctuaries of the Shekhinah that have existed that exist in this world. This is by far the least. Of all of them, the second temple is a shadow of, of all the previous ones. In in uh, order from least to most importance, you have the the, the second base of Mikdash. Higher by a lot is the Mishkan in the desert. Higher by a lot is Shlomo's first temple, and highest by without any comparison is the third base of Mikdash, the Echezkel envisions. Yeah. I don't care why the third one's gonna be so much better than the second one. It isn't it the same situation? You know, we got it for. I'm way Whatever back. they accomplished, this is a relevant time to ask this question in history. Whatever they accomplished in their tshuva in Bavel, in the depths of darkness and depravity, and that they came back to Kaddish Baruch despite it all, Kimu the Kiblu, as in Purim, we're going to do apparently something even more ex- extraordinary. Okay. And, and then befitting that, therefore, is going to, is going to be those, the most glorious of all the crafts b- 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 that existed. In specific ways, I'm going to give you a partial list, just to give you a sense of it. How was the second temple different? Well, Shlomo's stones were much larger. They were eight by 10 amos. This is one ama. They were grand, these amos. Uh, they were more precious. The second temples were tiny, round things that didn't make much of an impression. The new building had a, had a, an unplastered wooden plank underneath the entire thing. Why? The Persians were telling them unmistakably, unmistakably that you guys, um, you're our subjects, right? We're letting you build this building, but you know what? One misstep, not hard to light a match. The wooden plank will go up in flames. It will take nothing to destroy this temple. The wooden plank is a threat to us. Um, on the eastern gate, across from the Kodesh Kodoshim, is the image of Shushan. Make no mistake who's in charge. They lacked in the second temple the Arun Kodesh, which is either off in Bavel or underground. They lacked the help of a heavenly fire. It was there, but not functional. What are they doing? The shkina, even though it hovered over the second temple, it was not perceived openly. So it felt like it wasn't present. Well, they, they didn't have the same. They didn't have prophecies we're about to hear, and they did not have the services of the urim and tumim. That was the red phone, as it were, to to Hashem. In other words, the second temple was a shadow of its former self. Yeah. They simply had, the, they, he went to the Kodesh Kodashim. Lithnayim believed him, and they didn't have the Yaron Kodesh. Yeah, it was, it was, everybody felt what was lacking. The Second Temple never reached the heights. The Jews, by the way, were sovereign during the Second Temple period. How many years Second Temple last? 420. 420. During those years, how many of them were the Jews independent and sovereign? About 90. And it was not necessarily, with a couple of exceptions, not a glorified, under whom? Uh, yeah. The Chashmanaim, that's the Hanukkah revolution. We'll see most of the Chashmanaim, we're going to see this the bitter, bitter, bitter reality of history, were actually negative, where We're we're Roshayim. Most of the Chashmanaim turned turn bad, and we'll talk about the significance of that. So, otherwise, the Jews are basically subordinate to first the Persians, and then the Greeks, and eventually the Romans. Second Temple period is not a great time in history. It's got some bright lights, but it's extremely problematic and flawed. What's that? They not have no. Oh no, they should have, they should. and it was good, and they could have made greater chuva. It was all because of chait. Had they had they redeemed themselves, but they had they had problems, as we're going to learn. And they the major problem, probably the biggest blight of the second temple period, something that's around the corner we haven't gotten to. No, 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 no. That's late. That's why the second temple was destroyed. But what's the biggest blight that's going to be the the, the, uh, the scourge of the second temple? Hellenism, the Greeks. We'll get to there soon enough. Um, after the temple is dedicated, it took this long for another great figure finally to come from Bavel. In fact, it's the fourth chapter of our Ar- Ar- Masechta in I may mm-hmm. know the name of the, fir- the fourth chapter? No, you, you don't know the names of the chapters in Kadushi? Right. You're she learning does. a Gemara there. you don't know the names? No. Nope. You should. Rishon. Oh, Shani. Very good. Asara I. Yulzi. I wrote this on the board of my Gemara Shere. <clears throat> My Gemara here just the other day, Asara Yuxin, in the full Nusach of the first Mishnah, in the fourth and, and culminating chapter of Kiddushin, reads like this. And it's the next stage in history. Learn, um, Asara Yuxin alu mi Bavel. 10 categories of Yechis came up from Bavel, together with, at the, under the leadership of Ezra. Ezra HaSofir is a great figure in history, likened to none other than Moshe Rabbeinu himself. He comes up with 1,500 families. Um, why did he wait this long? Where was he when Zubavel came back? He was busy receiving the Masorah. Does anybody still have the sheet of paper that I gave you on the Masorah on the tradition? I really, I really. Still busily being tra- handed down, teacher to student, teacher to student, all the way going down. Still an oral tradition. Oh, God, you're part of the We're all part of the Masorah, right? But that's why we need the Gemara because we don't have we don't have a person transmitting it anymore. We have the Gemara instead of the, instead of that we have the Gemara. Ezra was busy transcribing it from his Rebbe, Baruch Ben who'd received it from his Rebbe, Yirmiyahu Navi. Okay? Baruch Benaria couldn't make Aliyah, he was large and unwell, and until he died, Ezra was busy getting all of the tradition from Baruch. When Baruch died, the next day Ezra makes Aliyah. He brings the dregs of, of the Jewish people in terms of lineage, he brings them up so they can be supervised by the rabbis in Yushalayim, leaving back in Bavel, the cream of the crop. People who had only pristine lineage stayed back in Bavle. The uh, He actually tried to persuade many others to join him, and he, he failed. Um, among other things, they were concerned moving back to Yushalayim. Everybody in Yerushalayim was impoverished. They didn't want to come. They were concerned. Um, they were afraid of the elements. They were afraid of the Kutim and the other enemies of the Jews. Um, and they didn't come. Some, in fact, want to liken modern days. You hear this from um, a lot of people who are very, let's say, Zionist. But not just not just Zionistically, but other people. You hear the sentiment that, oh, the Jews in exile today, they're just like back in Baville where you know they, went, they got basically spoiled by the the flesh pots of exile, of the uh, of, of the, the, the siren song of exile which is too comfortable, they are too comfortable in Bovo, they didn't come up. The parallel is not quite correct. Seems Today it's less defensible in fact because there's very little, if a person's a caring thinking Jew, his place is Eretz Israel. If you have the ability to make Aliyah, you're really supposed to be here. The difference is back in Bovo, and the reason many people stayed in Bavo to their credit, was that was the Torah center of the world still. They had yet to build a comparable Torah center in Eretz Yisrael. So those who stayed back in Babel at a certain level had a better defense back then than Jews today who, who, who in their stubbornness continue to remain uh, in exile. Close. And also because they get no, America's, no, America's a pretty close second. Uh, it's pretty good. They can marry it's pretty good, as but as well. you can't say that you have a hands down superior probably inferior. Yeah, really right? You really can't, can't say that you have a superior Torah center, center as they could reasonably say back here. They can also marry and then, and then learn Torah after. Also true. That's in kedusha even. Yeah, yeah, I think you no. learned such things. Um, Ezra, when he comes back, reestablishes. Remember the a kedusha that Yeshua had established had had expired at the first temple's destruction. So Ezra comes back, and the first thing one of the first things he does is to reestablish the kedusha so that the Jews can, can start again, keeping Shemitah, tshumos and Maestros, and all the other agricultural laws. And when listen to this last point for today. When Ezra reestablished the Kedush at the beginning of the Second Temple period, period, HaShaisov the it was permanent. The Kedush of Ezra lasts till today. In, in, and it requires more, more explanation than this. That's why, right, Yovel is dependent on most Jews being in Eretz Israel. Each mitzvah has to be understood in its own context. But, but the Kedush is still there. Uh, and that's why the mitzvah is certainly so an internal mitzvah for, to, for Jews to live here. Um, tomorrow, Biz Rosh Hashem, we're going to talk about what I claim is probably one of the most significant periods of history, and it's really the source of why those secular scholars are saying what you said they say. Of it. Um, we'll talk about this major transition in history, and it all has something to do with a fire, fiery lion cub. Stay tuned for tomorrow.